Thank you for downloading the Two Cities Church podcast, where we are pushing back darkness by spreading the good news of King Jesus. And now, here is this week's message from Pastor Jeff Struker. It's the Christmas season. We're going to do something a little bit different today. We're going to talk about the death and resurrection of Jesus. And for all of us who have been to church before, you know the significance of the baby born in a manger. You know that, thank you, Troy, for, I felt naked naked up here without a little clicker in my hand. Um, You know the significance of the baby born in the manger. You know the story of God giving forth his son. But the truth is, Christmas really doesn't have much meaning apart from Good Friday and Easter Sunday. And we've been studying as a church for a long time through the Bible book of John. Well, today we're about to wrap this story up. And today, at the end of this sermon, I'm going to tell you the greatest Christmas gift anyone will ever receive. Peter gets that gift today. That gift is available to all of God's people today. But in order for us to get there, I need to make sure you understand, this sermon today is for one specific type of person. Let's be honest. Y'all know people out there that tend to act like they don't ever do anything wrong. You got some friends or family like that? And when they do wrong, they hesitate to admit it. And if you catch them doing wrong, the immediate response is to compare what they did to somebody else. Like, yeah, I may have messed up, but I didn't do as bad as the person next to me did. And in other words, they never, ever want to really admit, I was wrong. I made a mistake. I cannot excuse it away. Well, today, Peter has to deal with doing wrong. And Jesus confronts Peter today about the mistakes that he made. And Peter can't excuse it away. He can't blame it on somebody else. He can't compare himself to somebody else. Peter has no choice but to just simply face the facts that I was wrong. Peter, earlier in the Bible book of John, claims, Jesus, even if all of the rest of these losers turn their back on you, I will never do that to you. And then Peter falls down, and he makes some catastrophic mistakes, and he denies even knowing, let alone following Jesus. And Peter is a wreck because of it. In fact, if you were with us last week, we saw that Peter's so so guilty and so frustrated by what he's done that he goes back to what he knows best. He goes back to fishing. Peter is a guy who fell down and skinned up his knees a little bit, and they got bloody. And we're going to learn something about the character and nature of Jesus today by studying this passage from John chapter 21. And And here's a beautiful statement that I hope all of you will carry with you this week. Jesus tends to favor people who readily admit their mistakes. They recognize they have some skinned up knees and they're a little bit bloody because of their own faults and their own failures. The religious leaders, the people that acted like you've never done anything wrong, Jesus doesn't have a lot of time for them in the Bible. But the guys or gals like that famous woman who falls at his feet and wipes his feet with her tears and dries his feet with her hair. Jesus honors this woman. And today, Peter's fallen down. He's bloodied his knees a little bit. And Jesus honors Peter because of the mistakes that he's made. And here's what I really want you to understand. 
Peter at this moment is in a very fragile state. He's a failure and he knows it. In fact, the folks from my group last week were talking about this moment when Peter goes back fishing. He fishes all night long and he can't even go back to his old lifestyle. He doesn't even catch any fish. They said it this way. He is a failure at being a failure. He can't even catch fish and now he's, he's, his life is turned upside down. And early in the morning, Jesus is waiting on the beach for Peter and a few other disciples. And the conversation that we hear today, it's not just between Peter and Jesus. This is between all of us in this room who have fallen down and made some mistakes and got no one else to blame but us. And I want you to see how Jesus deals with us like he deals with Peter when you make some mistakes. So let's look at the original come to Jesus meeting. Because tend to, people tend to uh, get really, really uncomfortable when, they've, when they're caught in their mistakes. And I don't know about you, I don't know if you've ever heard this phrase before, it was very common when I was in the army. Pagans, even total atheists use this phrase, the come to Jesus meeting. And the come to Jesus meeting when I was in the army was a reference to, we have to get very real with each other for a few minutes, very honest with each other for a few minutes about some stuff that went wrong. And you're not going to be able to excuse it away. You're not going to be able to point the blame at somebody else. Well, this is the original come to Jesus meeting. And it's found in John chapter 21. And the conversation between Jesus and Peter starts in verse 15. And here's what the Bible says. When they had eaten breakfast, now this is just Peter, Jesus, and a handful of the disciples that have gone out fishing all night long, didn't catch anything, and then Jesus does a miracle. They catch a net full of fish. They bring it to the shore. They fry up some fish, and it sounds like Jesus and Peter walk away from the fire for just a little bit, and they have a conversation. When they had eaten breakfast... Jesus said, Simon Peter, Jesus asked Simon Peter, now notice how he refers to him. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Can I pause for just a second? How many of you remember playing in the backyard and you were doing something wrong and your mama saw you out the window doing something wrong and she called you out by first name? Y'all remember that? And then she called you out again, and the name got a little bit louder, and her voice got a little bit louder, and you still kept doing something wrong. And then all of a sudden, your mama's voice dropped, and she called you by your, first, your full name. Y'all remember that moment? Because all of us at that moment realized, uh-oh, this is really, really bad. If she just called me by my full name, like Jeffrey Dean Struker, you need to come in here, that means this is really bad. And Jesus just called Simon by his full name. Simon, son of John, we need to talk. Do you love me more than these? We're going to get to the more than these question in just a second. But I want you to notice Simon's reply. Yes, Lord, he said to him. And the emphasis is on the word you right here. You of all people on earth, you know that I love you, Jesus. Feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Now this phrase, lots of people are wondering 
what's going on with this phrase that Jesus asks right here? Simon, do you love me more than the rest of these disciples? I don't really think that's what Jesus is asking, although Simon does have a handful of Jesus' disciples around him at this moment. I don't think Jesus is comparing Simon's love to their love. It just doesn't sound like Jesus' character. Maybe what Jesus is doing is saying, hey, Simon, remember that conversation that we had right before you denied me? Remember when you compared yourself with everybody else and you said, Jesus, I love you more than the rest of these disciples, and they might turn their back on you, but I won't do that. Remember that moment, Simon? Because that was right before I promised you tonight, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Simon, do you really love me like you said you love me? Like you said you love me when you said you love me more than these. But some Bible scholars think there's actually even more going on here. Simon, do you love me more than the old lifestyle and the fishing and all of the things that you were familiar with? Actually, what I tend to think Jesus is asking is Simon, remember that original conversation when you said you loved me more than the rest of these? You had your mind, you had in your mind what it looked like to be a savior. And in your mind, there was no way that a savior could go to the cross. There was no way that a savior would die at the hands of the Romans. Simon, do you love me more than this image you have in your mind of what a savior is supposed to be? Do you love me more than that? And Simon's answer is, Jesus, you know everything. Like, I, I can't hide anything from you. So you know, Jesus, that I love you. You know how much I love you. And Jesus' response to him is tender and it's gracious. I want you to notice, Jesus doesn't accuse him. He doesn't belittle him. He doesn't point the finger at him. Jesus is deliberately restoring Peter today after the monumental mistake that Peter made, after this failure that I'm convinced Peter thinks I'll never get over. And the first time that Jesus restores him is when he uses this phrase, Simon, I want you to feed my lambs. He's using leadership language here, the kind of leadership language that Simon would understand. Because if you grew up in a society where ranchers took care of lambs, you already know lambs cannot fend for themselves. And without a shepherd, lambs are going to get eaten by wolves. They're going to die out there in the wilderness. Simon, I need you to shepherd my lambs, my people. I need you to take care of my people. And I know you messed up. But Simon, I'm going to let that go. I'm going to forgive you for the mistakes that you made. And I'm going to restore you back to that original role that I had for you in the first place. And Simon has no choice but to just get real and honest with Jesus for a few minutes here. Hey, in our community this week, I don't know if you saw the news, but five people went to jail this week for embezzling money from the federal government. There was a deliberate misleading of the government. There was a school, and these five school administrators, this graduate school in our community, embezzled $12 million from the government by creating fake students, fake student loans, and then taking that student loan money for themselves. 
one of the people that was convicted and sentenced to jail, a guy by the name of Leo Frank Thomas, made this statement. I read it in the news, and I was thinking to myself, thank God somebody responded this way. He said, I was wrong. I was convicted. I'm going to jail. And then listen to what he said next. I deserve it because of what I did. And I'm not going to try to excuse it. I'm not going to try to explain it away. I'm not going to compare myself with the rest of these. Thomas was sentenced to three years in jail. And he said, it's my fault. I was wrong. I got no explanation. I deserve the punishment I was getting. And I thought to myself, finally, somebody, there's a hope for this guy in the future. Because he's willing to admit his mistakes and recognize my mistakes carry consequences. And I was wrong. And I deserve it. And for the guy or the gal that you know that never does anything wrong, and when they do wrong and they're actually caught in the middle of it, they compare themselves to somebody else. Hey, Jesus, I did wrong. I know I denied you, but it's not nearly as bad as what Judas Iscariot did. If that's the approach that Simon takes, this is a very different conversation. And I think Simon becomes a very different leader of God's people in the future. He just says, Jesus, you know me, and you know my heart, so you know I was wrong, and I got no excuses, and I just want you to understand that when it comes to spiritual battles, when it comes to your soul, excuses with God are deadly. Because you really can't pull the wool over the eyes of the one who can see everything, the one who knows everything, the one who is all places at all times. You really can't fool him in the first place. So trying to make excuses for what you did wrong just doesn't really work with him. But I'm convinced in the United States, there are millions of people that get up and they go to church, but in their hearts they think, I'm actually not that bad of a person. Like maybe I did a couple of things wrong, but it's not that big of a deal. And what I did is not nearly as bad as that lady sitting next to me in church. She's much worse than I am. And that is a very, very dangerous place for your soul. Because it's only when you get real honest with God that he can get real honest with you. And that's when real forgiveness real change starts to happen. Jesus is going to ask Peter the same question two more times. Listen, Peter, you denied me three times. I'm going to ask you the same question three times. But I want you to notice what Jesus doesn't say on the second or the third time when he asks Simon the same question. Let's pick up the story in verse 16. A second time, Jesus asked him, Simon, Son of John, do you love me? What's missing from this question that he asked the first time? More than these. Thank you. Simon, do you love me? Do you really, really love me? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep. Would you say the word shepherd out loud? It's a very important word in the church. I'll explain what this word really means in this context in just a second. Shepherd my sheep, Jesus told him. 
He asked him a third time, and this is why almost all scholars believe this is Jesus restoring Peter after his public sin. He asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved that he, Jesus, asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Jesus said. Now, Simon's hurt. And I think he's hurt because Jesus has asked the same question three different times. And maybe what's going on in Peter's mind is, why did he have to ask me this three times? Jesus, you know me. You know what's going on in my heart. And I've already answered your question once. There's no doubt. John recognizes this. And by the way, John probably overheard this conversation from just a few feet away at that breakfast fire on the side of the beach. And John's telling us about this conversation. And Peter is grieved that Jesus has to ask this a third time. And Peter's answer to Jesus is very profound. He does not say, Jesus, you know my heart, and although I did wrong in my heart, it really wasn't that big of a deal. That's not what Peter is saying today. What Peter is saying is, Jesus, you know my heart, and I can't hide it from you. You know when that servant girl asked me if I'm your follower, I was ashamed. I was afraid, and I wanted to be big and strong for you, Jesus, but I buckled and I fell down and I skinned my knees up, and Jesus, I got no excuses with you. You know my heart. You know I was wrong. Jesus, you know I love you. But I can't go back and undo what I just did. Y'all, I've been riding a bicycle for more, almost 50 years. I have skinned up knees right now from this race that I did in South Africa. And I'm not at all embarrassed to tell you that I continue to fall off a bicycle 50 years later. Part of learning, part of growing, part of getting better is falling down a little bit. It's falling down and skinning up your knees a little bit. And Jesus is going to restore Peter now, not only his relationship to Jesus, but Peter's restoring his relationship to the other disciples and to the rest of his church. Because he says, Peter, I want you to shepherd my people. I want you to shepherd my sheep. Would you say the word pastor out loud? That word pastor, we get from the word shepherd. The original language, those words are basically synonymous with one another. Does the word pastor sound a little bit like where sheep go out to eat? Where do they eat? In a pasture. Pastor is the church's way of referring to the shepherd who pastures, who feeds the sheep. And Jesus is saying, Peter, I want you to pastor my people again. I know you've messed up. There's no excuses. But Peter, I have forgiven you, and I am restoring you now to the place that I once had. Remember when I called you, Peter? Remember when I singled you out? Remember when I set you apart to kind of be the leader of my disciples when I'm gone? Well, Peter, I'm restoring you back to that position. And guys, let me just get real honest with us for a second. That guy or that gal that you know that always has an excuse 
about something that they did wrong that always compares themselves to somebody else and says, yeah, maybe it was wrong, but it's not as bad as what he did. He did something far worse. That's a very, very dangerous place for your soul. Because according to Ephesians chapter 6, while we live here on earth, it's not a battle against flesh and blood. We battle against spiritual forces that attack our soul. And let me tell you how the enemy uses your mistakes and twists them against you. If you're not careful, what Satan will do is he'll take the grace of God and he'll use it as a weapon against your soul. He'll cause you to start to say, you know what, I messed up, but I've messed up in the past. I'm probably going to mess up again. And God hasn't punished me for it in the past. So apparently God doesn't care. And I'm just going to keep on doing it. And there are plenty of people that go to church, confess a sin, but in the back of their mind, they know deep inside, I'm going to do it again, and I'm going to keep doing it again because I don't really even care if it was wrong. And that's a really deadly place for your soul. But he can do something even worse, even more destructive to your soul. He can take the grace of God, and he'll minimize it. And basically, you decide, yeah, I know what I did was wrong, and I can't excuse it away, but Jesus loves me, and Jesus is going to forgive me for it, so it's no big deal. And by minimizing the grace of God, what Satan is really doing is minimizing the blood of Jesus, his death on the cross. This is what it takes for Peter to be restored. This is what it takes for you and I who have committed sin. One sin, one time, somebody now has to die for that. And without the shedding of blood, the book of Hebrews says, there can be no forgiveness for sins. The wages of sin, according to Romans, is what? Somebody has to die for that. And if you're not careful, what the enemy of your soul will do is make sin no big deal. Because it's easy to get forgiveness, and that forgiveness becomes cheap. And it minimizes the blood of Jesus. And if you're not careful, you'll dismiss it or you'll minimize it. But Peter has no choice but to sit right in the middle of that sin and to say, Jesus, you know me, you know my heart. I can't pull anything over on you. I was wrong, and I can't make it go away. And when you get that real, that honest about your mistakes with God, that's when real growth real maturity happens because now God says yeah I know you've done wrong and we can at least agree on this and I didn't leave you in your sin so I sent my son as a gift a precious baby born in a manger never did anything wrong and his death becomes the payment for your sins and that's why excuses are deadly to a Christian's soul. Don't give in to the enemy and minimize what you did. Don't compare it to somebody else. Just run to Jesus with it and get real with it. And he'll deal with you like he deals with Peter here. Because the truth is, before you can learn to run, all of us are going to fall down. All of us are going to skin our knee from time to time. And falling down is important to your faith. In fact, there's no such thing 
as a guy or a gal who have lived their entire life and never done wrong. The scriptures don't even show us an example of that. The only person ever to pull that one off was Jesus. But how you respond when you've done wrong is far more important than simply trying to excuse it, explain it away, trying to minimize it or compare it to somebody else. Because when you're real, when you're honest about this with God, now he can deal with you at the heart level, at the soul level. And this is where Simon Peter's life changes. I'm convinced these next words change Peter's life. And he becomes the bold disciple that we read about in Acts chapter 2, who stands up and who confronts all manner of challenges and lets nothing and no one hold him back. Truly, Jesus says to him in John chapter 21, verse 18, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. Peter, you used to call the shots in your life. You used to be God in your own life. You're not God anymore. I'm now God of your life, and I'm going to tell you how things are going to go. And listen to what Jesus promises Peter is going to happen to him in the future. But I tell you, when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you to where you don't want to go. Most Bible scholars believe Jesus is telling Peter ahead of time, Peter, you're going to follow in my footsteps. You're actually going to be crucified. They're going to tie your hands and they're going to lead you through the streets like they tied me up and led me through the streets. They will tie you up and carry you where you don't want to go. And he said this to indicate what kind of death Peter would glorify God. After saying this, he told Peter the same two words that he said when he first met him. The last two words on the screen. What are they? Follow me. Remember when Jesus first met Peter. And he's in Peter's boat. And he's going out fishing. And Peter's been fishing all night. And he caught nothing that first time he met Jesus. And then Jesus does a miracle, and Peter realizes who's in his boat. Peter's first response is, Jesus, go away from me, because you are holy, and I am a sinful man, and just being around you is making me very uncomfortable right now. So Jesus, just leave. And Jesus says, Peter, oh no, you don't get it. I've got a plan and a mission for your life, Peter. You're going to drop these nets. You're not going to go catch fish in the sea anymore. Now you're going to follow me, and I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And that same mission hasn't changed. Did you hear, church? Even though you've messed up, Peter, even though you've failed in a very public and a very spectacular way, and by the way, the rest of these disciples that are with you tonight, they know you failed. But Peter, my mission for you hasn't changed. Stop fishing in the Sea of Galilee. I want you to go out and keep following me. I want you to go out and keep fishing for men. Peter, I'm going to use you in a very powerful way. Peter, your life will glorify me. Your death will glorify me. Peter, I'm telling you right now, I got a plan for you. And your mistakes did not change my plan for you. And somebody in this room really missed a great opportunity to say hallelujah. Because if you've messed up, 
like I've messed up. If you've messed up like Peter messed up, here's the Christmas gift for you. God is restoring Peter to himself. God is giving Peter a second chance. And let's just be honest, y'all. He doesn't have to do this for Peter. He doesn't have to do this for you. You see, the ultimate Christmas gift is getting a second chance with God when you know, when I know, I've done wrong. And that second chance with God comes at an incredibly high price. That's why I said at the beginning of this service today, the Christmas message, that manger doesn't really make much significance if it doesn't lead to a cross, which eventually leads to an empty tomb, which is God's promise. Yes, Jeff, you messed up and no one can explain it away and you can't compare yourself to somebody else to minimize it. That was between you and me, buddy. But I'm not going to leave you like that. I'm going after you and I'm going to get you and I'm going to rescue you and I'm going to clean you up, and I'm going to use you again in the future. And the only way that it's possible is because of the death of my son, Jesus. He took on his shoulders your punishment. And now you can be free. Now you can be free from your past. Now you can be free from those mistakes. Now you don't have to carry around that guilt and that shame for the rest of your life because I've restored you. In fact, this is the language the Bible uses. I have cast your sin away as far as the east is from the west. They never meet on a compass. And I don't even remember your sin anymore. That's how far I've cast it away. And I did it at the cost of my son Jesus. The ultimate Christmas gift doesn't come in a box with a bow. It came on a cross 2,000 years ago. And as a church, in just a few minutes, we're going to recognize, we're going to remember, we're going to celebrate this gift that was given to us when Jesus said, I will take the penalty for your mistakes. I will fix what you did wrong. And I will wipe it clean. And now between me and you, we're good. And we're good, not because of a prayer that you prayed, not because you walked down an aisle, not because you did some religious act a long time ago. We're good because of what I did for you. When I reached down into your sin and when I saved you. And what I want to do is just challenge all of us for just a second. Maybe somebody is wrestling with their sin and maybe their guilt is hanging over them and they've never been set free by Jesus. In just a second, I want to pray for you. And I'm going to pray that Jesus would restore your broken soul. He would make it whole for the first time. But for the rest of us, I hope this doesn't happen to you often. But it's going to happen to all of us from time to time. You're going to fall down in your faith. You're going to make some mistakes. You're going to bloody your knees up. And when those days happen, don't give in to the enemy. Don't hide in your shame. Don't wallow in your sin. Run to Jesus. Fall down at his feet and be free. Be forgiven. Be restored. Like Peter was set free. Like he was forgiven. Like he was restored today. We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to stay in touch by joining our email list through the link in the show notes. Have a great week.